uh, and uh, there were 15 on the bus that were killed <clears throat> and another 12 that were, or 14 that were injured. And so just uh, continue to hold them up in prayer and, and, uh, and I got this little band on my, my wrist and uh, for Layden, Landon. I can't ever get anybody's name right, Landon. And so every time I touch that, I remember. And so declare that by the stripes of Jesus, he has been healed, amen? amen. We're not moved by reports. We're not moved by what man says. We're moved by what the word of God declares. And so by the stripes of Jesus, he has been healed, amen? I want to talk with you this morning. I want to share with you uh, about how to respond to the promises. <clears throat> you know, God has said, the Word says, that to all the promises of God, His response to us is yes and amen. So, <clears throat> the issue is never on God's side. It's never on God's side, because on God's side, it's always yes and amen. It's, it's how, do we, how do we respond to the promises of God? You know, I think there's so many distractions out there, and I think even within Christendom, there's so many distractions. Um, What's the latest message? What's this individual preaching? What's this individual teaching? You know, there's so many distractions. And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying that m these teachings are good teachings. I'm not saying that they're not. But I'm, I'm saying we've got to always keep in mind the priorities. I remember several years ago, I heard a preacher make this statement. He said, you know, this word of faith message. You know, God's preaching, to, God's teaching a new thing today. We're in a new movement of God. And so this, this faith is, movement is past. Well, let me tell you something. My Bible, and so I'd assume your Bible says the same thing. It says without faith it's impossible to please God. And so everything that we have is built upon the foundation, the principle of faith in God. Believing that what he said in his word is absolutely true. And so when we believe that, when we come to that place, there is that point where we, we need to respond because <clears throat> I'm not talking about trying to convince God to do something because he already wants to do it in our life. But, but we have to respond to the word of God. You know, Galatians, or excuse me, Ephesians says that for by grace, you and I have been saved. So it's the grace of God that saved us, amen. amen. But we've got to respond to that grace. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And so our response to the grace of God, of what he's done for us, is, is faith. Receiving what he's done for us. You know, there's those that would say, you know, because we're operating in grace, <clears throat> we don't have to do anything. Well, yeah, we do. We, we respond to what Jesus has already done for us. We're not trying to get it because we've already got it. But there's a response that needs to be there. And so that's what I want to talk with you this morning about, is the need for us to respond. And so we're looking at, we're going to be looking at how we respond. You know, we, we see in the scripture, we see what God's abilities are. We meditate on that word. We, we read that word. We think about that word. We confess that word. We study that word. You know, the Bible says, and we'll see this a little bit later, <clears throat> that God's angels respond to the Word of God. And I think many times as believers, our angels are all confused. But it isn't because God confuses them, it's because we confuse them by what we say. 
because they fulfill or they follow through on what the Word of God says. And so we don't see it because we don't see in the, in, into the spirit realm. But we have a myriad of angels around about us to guard us, to keep us, to watch over us, to help us. They're there as servants of the Most High God to serve His people. And so we need to respond rightly to the Word of God. In 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel it talks about pursuing the promise and to pursue something means you have to be active. If you're not active, you're not pursuing it. And so we, we see here in 1 Samuel that David is to pursue something. It says, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So what had happened is the enemy had taken David's family and, and his goods and so forth. And so he inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue? And the Lord said, pursue, and you shall overtake. You know, there's things in our life. You know, <clears throat> we don't like to talk about it. I don't like to talk about it. But there's a thief that's come but for steal, to steal, kill, and destroy. And that which he's taken from us, it doesn't belong to him. It belongs to us. And so we need to pursue, we need to be determined. We need to be active that I am not going to allow this in Jesus' name. You know, a couple weeks ago I talked about settling. Well, one of the ways that we settle is we don't pursue. We don't go after that which belongs to us. When the Word declares it, it belongs to us. And we need to pursue it. Not because we're trying to get God to do something for us, but He's already done it. He's given us the promise. He gave David the promise. He said, pursue them, overtake them, because I've already given it back into your hands. But the enemy stolen belongs to us. And it's time for us to stop sitting back and being comfortable and saying, que sera, sera, what will be, will be. It's time for us to rise up and say, no more. I'm going to pursue, I'm going to receive that which has been promised to me because, because it belongs to me. It's not us making it happen. You know, that's what legalism is all about, making something happen in your life. It's about recognizing what Jesus has already done for us and being determined within ourselves that we'll settle for nothing less. Nothing less than what God has promised. That's what we're going to pursue. That's what we're going to go after. We must search for what we need, believe, and be confident. You know, a lot of times, we don't really know what belongs to us because we haven't seen it in the Word. You know, for years I went to church and I didn't know prosperity belonged to me. I didn't know healing belonged to me. I didn't know that, I, I knew about deliverance, but I didn't know that deliverance really belonged to me. That what the enemy was trying to steal from me he had no right to in Jesus' name. But you know what? I had to find out about that. I had to look it up and I had to see it for myself in the Word. Now let me tell you something. <clears throat> Everybody say, thank God for preachers. Thank God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, without preachers, I wouldn't have a job. You know, so thank God for preachers. But we can learn so much from hearing preaching but you know what? For it to be solidified, 
within ourselves, we have to see it for ourselves. We have to, now I know, as a grace preacher, I'm not supposed to say you got to, but you got to. You have to see it for yourself so that it becomes alive to you. You know, it's one thing when you hear about something, but it's altogether different when you see it for yourself, when you experience it for yourself. It, it does something as that just hearing about it can't do. In Proverbs, the fourth chapter, the 22nd verse, we're all familiar with this. It says, for they, it's talking about the word of God, for they are life to those who find them, health to all their flesh. They're life to those that find them. <clears throat> you know, I've had people tell me, you know, well, you know, in our church, <clears throat> you know, we don't, uh, we don't ever see anybody baptized in the Holy Ghost and praying in other tongues. And I said, well, do you preach it in your church? Well, no, we don't, we don't believe that. Big shocker that you don't see the manifestation of it. But you know, there's, there's churches that don't believe in healing. And you know why the people don't believe in healing and expect healing? Because they don't hear it. If you don't hear it, you won't believe it. And if you don't believe it, you won't act upon it. But you know, just hearing it one time doesn't solidify it within our thinking process. That's why Romans 12, 2 says that we need to renew our minds. We need to change our thinking. We do that by the word of God. As we see it in the word, as we begin to stand upon it in the word, it changes everything within us. In 2 Peter, I just... I just love this portion of scripture in the first chapter and in the third verse. <clears throat> well, the second verse is so good and we're just gonna have to start in verse two and it says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and mercy be multiplied unto you in the knowledge of God. Think about, I, I love God's economics. It's not added to us. It's multiplied unto us. Grace and mercy is multiplied unto us through the knowledge of God. Just think about this. You get a little tidbit of truth. And it isn't added to what you already know. It's multiplied to what you already know. That's why when we get a revelation of God, it, it's, what, what, what would the word be, exponential? It's huge. Because it isn't just this little tidbit that's been added, it's, it revolutionizes our life, why? because grace and mercy have been multiplied unto us. You know, that's why when you get a hold of a truth, it's like getting born again again. I mean, we're only born again once, amen? amen. But it's like when you get a hold of something that you've not seen before, it's like your whole life is changed all over again. Why? Because grace and truth has just been multiplied unto you. It's wonderful. Grace and peace be multiplied into you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus as his divine power has given to us all things. I'm about to say all things. Not some things, not most things. All things. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Every
everything that we need for life and to live a godly life has been given to us through the knowledge of God. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us Better sit on your hands because you just might start jumping and shouting and waving them and, and interfere with my message. Man, I'd love to have my message interfered with. By which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, through these what? These, these great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. We've escaped it. But we spend our whole time talking about it. Why do we spend all of our time talking about the corruption in the world? Because we've not been renewed, because we still think we're a part of it. We've been separated from that corruption in the world. Sickness and disease is part of the corruption that's in this world. Poverty and lack are part of the corruption of this world. Bondage that we experience in our life is part of the corruption that's in this world. Discouragement, hopelessness, feelings of failure, all of those are attributes of the corruption that is in this world that's a result of the lust that has overcome and empower men of this world. But you and I, we're a peculiar people. Because we're not subject to the corruption of the world. Because we're aliens here. We're just simply passing through. We're not citizens of this world of corruption. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And it isn't when we die it isn't when we start pushing up daisies. Began the very moment that we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But because of lack of information concerning our citizenship, we still see ourselves bound to the corruption of this world. And because we see ourselves bound to it, we see ourselves being manipulated and controlled by the things of this world. The Gospel of John, the first chapter, the first verse, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we received Jesus, we received the Word, and the Word became flesh, the 14th verse. The world, Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when we receive the word of God, it's Jesus saying, by the stripes of Jesus, you've been healed. It's Jesus saying, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. It's Jesus who told us how he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So that oppression that tries to grip you, that tries to take a hold of you, it's not of God. It's the enemy bringing his discouragement to bring destruction into your life. Because he knows that if he can destroy you, all the gifts, all the talents that have been invested into your life have no expression. They're just simply buried. Let me tell you something. This ought not to be a secret to you. The enemy hates your guts. And the reason for that is because of the potential 
that's within you. Well, pastor, I just don't feel like I have any potential. It's because you've not tapped into it. Thank God for colleges. Thank God for university. Thank God for trade schools. Thank God for those that have uh, mentored you in your life. But you see, there's one voice that's louder than every one of those other voices. It's the voice of Jesus. Until you hear the voice of Jesus, you'll never reach the full potential. And the reason for that is, without Jesus, the potential that is within you will be never used in the way that it was intended. Guess what? Every bit of potential that, was, that is within you is to be used for the good of humanity, is to be used for the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that every one of us is a preacher or, well, you are in your own right. But what we call full-time ministry, not that every one of us is called to that, but guess what? Every one of us is called to ministry. Every one of us. You may have a vocation that pays your bills, but your calling is God to serve him. And you know what? He wants to lead you and direct you. And through the word of God, we find out what he really has made available to each and every one of us so that at the end, we hear those wonderful words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, at Billy Graham's funeral, several of the individuals made comment, made remarks to that concerning Billy Graham. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But you know what? Billy Graham is going to receive that statement because of one reason. Not because he was a great preacher. Not because there were thousands and millions that were affected by his ministry. But he's going to receive it because he is obedient to the call. Now that call, be a plumber, be a farmer, can be a nurse, can be a teacher, can be whatever God's called us to do. But ultimately, is to demonstrate his goodness and his love to a lost and dying world. Because guess what? Your circle of influence is far, far greater than any circle of influence that I have. The impact that you can have on the lives of people as they watch your life and they see a living testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God, you're fulfilling your call, you're fulfilling your purpose. So many people, they go through life and they feel like, well, I just, I've just never done anything for God. You know, one of my great irritations He's not here today, so I can say this. One of my great irritations are many people's response to my children. You know, because Jeff is in full-time ministry and Nicole and Rachel are uh, pastor's wives and so they're in full-time ministry. And then there's Aaron, who by the way has been ordained, but he's, he's a funeral director. But let me tell you something. He's in his call. And therefore, he is in the ministry. And so for somebody to tell me that only three of my four children are in the ministry, it's an offense to me. So just, just be aware of that. <clears throat> so you can... Amen. All my kids are in the ministry. Guess what? Everyone in my church is in the ministry. Amen. We all have a call in our life. And that call is to serve a living God. That call is to demonstrate his goodness and his love to a lost and dying world that is without hope. And once again, I want to reiterate the fact that you have a sphere of influence with individuals 
that I'll never have. In fact, there's many of you in this room. I have a degree of influence in your life today because somebody else influenced you first. That's how the kingdom of God operates. That's why Paul said, you know, Silas did this, I do that. One preached, one teaches. We all have our call. We all have our purpose. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do what God's called us to do. Isn't that exciting? You don't have to look around the room and compare yourself with anybody else because God's not called you to be them. I mean, that was, that was such a big deal for me. Especially when I got into the ministry because I compared myself to everybody else and guess what? I, I came up really short <laughs> in my eyes. But guess what? I was never called to be them. Lucky you. I was called to be me. Amen. You're called to be you. You don't have to try to be somebody else. And you know what? God will use you and the influence that you have in your life to touch the lives of so many. Where we fail is when we try to be somebody else. I know this thing will work for me. There we go. Let's look at Mark, the ninth chapter. <clears throat> Mark, the ninth chapter in the 23rd verse. You know, one of the big things is in the church is We know that, that God is sovereign. We know that God is able. Amen? God's able. We just don't know that he will. We just don't know that he wants to. Part of where we need to get in our walk is, is to come to the realization that not only is God able, God is willing, he wants to. <clears throat> you know why he made his promises to you and I? Because he wanted to. He gave you the promise of healing because he knew that the thief would come but for to steal, kill, and destroy and try to bring destruction into your life. But he brought healing on the scene because that was not his will for you to be destroyed. His will for you is to be whole. And nobody was able to make him do it. He did it because he wanted to. Listen to this. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Ever been there? I've been there. Lord, I believe. You know what? Your, your spirit, man, the man on the inside of you always believes. Because your spirit, man, is in tune with the spirit of God. And so your spirit man always believes, but the doubt comes through our, our mind. That word goes back to Romans 12, 2 again, that we have to renew our minds by the word of God. Change the way that we think about things. But notice what he says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And you know what? He'll help us in our unbelief, if we'll give him but an opportunity to do so. In Mark, the first chapter, we have this situation. We have these, this leper that comes to Jesus. 
And in the 40th verse of Mark 1, it says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Interesting term that he uses there, clean. But a leper in this day wasn't allowed to be in public. If he saw people coming from a distance, he would have to yell, unclean, unclean. And so everybody would avoid him because they thought that it would be contagious and so forth. And so here he is, he comes to Jesus. He's, he's begging him. And he's saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And notice how Jesus responds to him in 41. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Let me tell you something. Those few little words are some of the most important words you will ever read in, ever, in all of Scripture. Because the number one attack that comes against us, we know that God can, but will he? Jesus revealed his will when he said to the leper, I am willing to be cleansed. This is how Jesus is responding to you and I when we come to him and we say, Lord, can you heal me? I'm willing. Be whole. We need to recognize what the word, what Jesus has truly done for us. I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, he was cleansed of the leprosy. We need to recognize what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. Let's go over a few pages to Mark, the 11th chapter, in the 23rd verse. And he says, well, let's start in the 22nd verse. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. And in all of your knowing, in all of your understanding, in all of your wisdom, Have faith in God. You know, we can get so deep and so technical in so many areas of the things of God in the scriptures. We can get into the Hebrew and we can into the, get into the Greek and periodically I like to do that. But hear these words. These four words. Have faith in God. No matter what the circumstances are that you're encountering, have faith in God. No matter how impossible it may appear to be, have faith in God. Because there's one thing that we can have assurance of, that God will never leave us or forsake us. Even when the circumstances appear to be getting worse, have faith in God. Because he'll never forsake us. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. You see, <clears throat> if we believe something, it produces something. It produces actions in our part. One of the first actions that faith produces is words. What we say. Because whether we believe it or not, we can have what we say. And if you don't believe that, just look at your life from the negative standpoint. What you have is a result of the words that we've spoken. And so what we need to do is begin to change what we say. 
We need to change the words that come out of our mouth. Rather than damning our neighbor, maybe we ought to pray for them that they can get saved. Amen. But see, we're so quick with our words. We don't think about the words that are coming out of our mouth as to what they're really producing because words produce. He says, well, say to that mountain, what's the mountain in your life? It's not some physical structure that we're necessarily talking about. You need to stop talking about the problem and start speaking to the problem. Stop talking about our illness and start speaking to the illness and telling the illness that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you have no authority in my life. By the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. And so sickness and disease, you're not welcome here. Be moved. Be cast into the sea in Jesus' name. Words, words are so important. You know, we were talking about the other day when we first got saved, we had, we had scripture taped up every place. <clears throat> you had them on your mirror, so the first thing you looked at in the morning was scripture. Had it on the dashboard of the car. <clears throat> we didn't have phones to get our attention. We had our dashboards to get our attention. Because we had scripture put everywhere. Most of you have heard the story about Colleen and her son Matthew. And how Matthew, he was a senior in high school and he was <clears throat> driving his Jeep and he flipped it on the way to school and had uh, uh, brain damage and they, they life-lighted him to the hospital and Colleen went to uh, the hospital and, and um, they basically said, Matthew is gonna be a vegetable. He's never gonna be able to uh, graduate high school. He's gonna never be able to live a normal life. He's a vegetable and she, she wouldn't accept that. And so she, she took scripture and <clears throat> typed it out and taped it all over the walls. And, and when the nurses and the doctors would come to update, she would say, we're going out in the hallway. She wouldn't allow anybody to speak negatively in the room. She said, if you're gonna talk that way, go out. But I don't want him to hear it. And so she would sit there and she would read scripture to him. And she would talk to him about what he was going to do when he got up and so on and so forth. But they said, never going to happen. Going to be a vegetable the rest of his life. One point they were going to move him to a nursing home and she refused it. So one day she's sitting there talking with him. Talking to him. Not talking about the problem, talking to him. Wasn't it his toe? She noticed moving a little bit, something or other, and next thing he started moving a finger, started moving a hand, and next thing you know he's talking. And I don't know how many years ago that's been, but he's not shut up since. First thing he said was, I want a hug. The doctor wrote out a report and the doctor's report said, and this was in Kenneth Copeland's magazine. And the doctor's report said, this has nothing to do with medical science. It was beyond anything that medical science could do. It's the result of the faith of a mother. We take too lightly the words that can come out of our mouth. He was determined. <clears throat> He was gonna graduate with his high school class. He walked across the platform. He had to learn to walk again, but he walked across the stage. Graduated from college. He's living on his own. That is what God wants to do in our lives if we'll but believe him. But the talking doesn't come until we have some believing. We were talking about the fact we need to get back to that a little bit. 
We need to get back to where we are so convinced that the Word of God is the answer, that we have it taped wherever. Now you don't even have to tape it. You can put it on a note in your phone, and it'll even speak it to you. Mercy sakes alive. We're without excuse. We're without excuse. We're without excuse. Let's put the Word of God in its proper place. In Matthew, the 17th chapter, the 20th verse, and Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be moved from here to there, and it will move. And nothing, nothing will be impossible to you. If you have faith as a mustard seed, I believe he used that mustard seed intentionally. Talking about the black mustard seed, and it's, it's the smallest of seeds. And he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, what's that mustard seed faith? Well, in Romans 12, 3, I think it is, it says each of us, when we were born again, we were given the measure of faith. And that measure of faith, at the very least, is mustard seed faith. And with mustard seed faith, nothing is impossible to us. There's just one thing about faith, though. Faith can't receive what it doesn't know has been made available to, to them. That's why the Word is so important. Through the Word that I found out that by the stripes of Jesus I've been healed, it's by the Word that I found out that my God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. It's by His Word that I found out that I was to love my wife as Christ loves the church. It was by His Word that we find the truth, the reality, that's been made available to us through Jesus Christ, through his completed works, that it's not me trying to get something. It's what's already been given to me. But you know what? I can have it, but if I'm not aware of it, I'm never going to walk in it. I'm never going to experience it. I don't know who it was It was I was listening to a preacher, I don't remember which one it was, and he <clears throat> brought up this old story. I don't know who I heard it from the first time, but it was about a guy that was going <clears> to, <throat> right after the uh, war, was going to immigrate to the United States. And so he had saved up all of his money to get a, uh, the fare for the boat. He bought a boat ticket so they could leave and come to the United States and and you know, used, took everything he had to buy that ticket. And so he had some bread and some cheese that he took on the ship with him. And, and so when the rest of the ship would go eat, he would just sit down on his bunk or whatever and, and eat his bread and his cheese because he didn't have any money left. And towards the end of the, the voyage, they were about ready to land in the States and one of the officers on the ship saw him and he said, he came up to him and he says, I, I just want to ask you something. Can I ask you something? Sure. He said, did we do something to offend you? And he says, well, no. He says, well, I was just wondering because you never came to the cafeteria to eat with everybody when we had a meal. You always left and he says, well, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed about this, but 
I used all my money to purchase my ticket. And so I didn't have any money left over for, for the food. And, and the officer says, oh, didn't you know? And he says, well, didn't I know what? And he says, the food was included in your ticket. So for the whole voyage, he ate bread and cheese when he could have been eaten with all the rest of the people, whatever the food was laid out before them, but he didn't know. Let me tell you, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're missing a lot of meals because the price has already been paid. Jesus didn't pay the price just simply so that you might go to heaven. If that was all that was, praise God. Be more than enough. But Jesus paid the price for healing, for deliverance, for abundance, for every one of your needs to be met. The price has been paid in full. We don't even have an entrance tax. It's been paid in full. Jesus took care of the whole thing. Will we believe? Will we accept? You know, it's an interesting thing about faith. It's an interesting thing about when you really believe something, it demands an action. And you know, our actions ought to become spontaneous. It ought to become part of who we are. You know, I go to a soccer game with little kids. My little kids are getting bigger, but I've been at soccer games and I'm sitting there and, and minding my own business, just watching the soccer game. And all of a sudden I realize my leg is over my head because I'm trying to help them kick the ball. I don't intend to do that. My wife says, stop it. I don't do it intentionally. It just, just, just what happens. I, I leave a soccer game and I'm wore out. My legs ache because I'm constantly trying to help them. And, you know, and, and you know, now I'm dignified, so I sit there because we're in high school. And I, so I'm just and they're like this because, you know, embarrass everybody. That isn't so bad. It's when I get up and try to help. That's when it gets really bad. But it's, 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 it's spontaneous. I don't, I don't try to do that. And so it ought to be spontaneous. And sickness tries to come get by the stripes of Jesus. I'm healed. Did I say that out loud? Ought to come out. Why? Because we believe it. How do we believe? By focusing upon it. By pursuing it. By recognizing, acknowledging that without the Word of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the truth of His Word, we can't sustain the life that He's made available to us. I intend to live till I die. I'm going to settle for anything less. I'm going to live till I die. That means I'm going to live in the blessings of God. I'm going to expect that God is going to fulfill what his word speaks concerning me. And each and every one of us in this room, we ought to have the same attitude. Well, pastor, that's kind of selfish. Why is it selfish to partake of what is already yours. Because for me to partake, for me to receive healing, isn't going to withhold healing from anybody else. Because healing has been provided for all. Prosperity has been provided for all. 
I don't know about you. I, I grew up in church. Well, you know, don't bother God with the little things because he has more important things to do. Listen to me. You're the most important thing in God's life. And it doesn't matter how small you may think it is. It's important to God. We need a mindset. We need to change our mind, renew our mind to think in line with the Word of God. Because His Word is unchanging. Joshua 1.8 says this book of the law, you shall meditate on it day and night. We're to meditate on the Word of God day and night for then, when, after you've meditated on the Word day and night, for then you will observe to do all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to have good success. Good success. That means it touches every single area of your life. Physically, emotionally, financially, socially, every area of your life. God wants you to have good success. I read one verse from this. Let me read the rest. Proverbs, the fourth chapter, starting in the second verse. My son and daughter, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. But notice what it says. Keep them in the midst of your heart. The word, for they are life to those who find them. Once again, if I don't know that it's not available to me, I will not partake of it. But if I know that it belongs to me, I take it and I receive it and it belongs to me. Galatians 5, 6 it says, faith works through love. Faith works through love. God is love. If we don't have the revelation of the love of God, we'll not see our faith work as it ought. Why doesn't our faith work sometimes? Because we don't believe him. We don't trust him. We don't think he loves us. Why do we think he, he heals somebody else but he doesn't heal me? Because he loves them more? No, he doesn't. He loves us all. And he loves us unconditionally. Why do we see some people, the immediate manifestation and others take longer? I don't know. If I knew, I'd write a book and I'd make a fortune. All I know is this. God is not a man that he should lie. And so in his word, when he tells us that it belongs to us, it belongs to us. And we need to be persuaded of that. We need to be convinced of that, no matter what the circumstances may be. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. And you know, in the Old Testament, they had to keep the law to show that they loved the love of God. They had to love God first. In the New Testament, everything's turned around. He loves us. He loved us unconditionally. He loved us so much that he sent his son. Jesus loved us so much, he came and made the ultimate sacrifice. Gave his love, his life, out of love for you and me. And so under the New Testament, he loved us first. And so what we do then is we respond to that love. We say, God, I know you love me. You demonstrated it through Jesus. Because you loved me so unconditionally, 
That love empowers me to be able to love you in return. You know, in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 36th verse, says, for you have need of endurance. The King James Version there says patience. So that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Patience. Endurance doesn't mean put up with. It means that we become consistent in every area of our life. James 1, 2, and 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What does that mean? That means we're the same all the time. When things are going wonderful, we're at peace because we know that God is our supply. When life seems to be in turmoil, we have peace. Why? Because we know it's not up to us. We're dependent upon him. And once again, we're convinced that God is not a man that he should lie. Because of the promises that he's given us in his word, it'll never change. It'll always be the same. So it comes back to faith. Putting our trust in him. Being confident that what he has said in his word, he's true to. It's not based on what I see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Bible says concerning Abraham that he called those things that be not as though they were. How do we talk to the circumstances in our life? Or do we talk about them? <coughs> we're to call those things that be not as though they were. We're to declare that by the stripes of Jesus we are healed even when we don't see it. We're to declare that my God supplies all my needs, even though it doesn't appear that our needs are being met. Why? Because we trust Him. And He'll never change. That's the, one of the awesome things about God. Doesn't ever change. The same. Yesterday, today, and forever. That means the Jesus that we see in the Gospels is the same Jesus that Peter and Paul preached about in the epistles. And it's the same Jesus that you and I are serving today. Never changes. Never changes. And so, Father, we thank you that we can trust you completely, that you're true to your word, we thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity today to receive Holy Communion. And Father, today as we receive these elements, we seal this word. That we're reminded of the completed works of Jesus, how he did it for each and every one of us. That we might have a victorious life. And it's all through you. And so we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So if I can have the ushers and elders, if they can come forward at this point and help uh, pass out the, the elements that represent our Lord and Savior Jesus.
having just celebrated Easter, we're reminded of his death, burial, and resurrection. But you know, one of our problems, problems that we have is that we have a tendency to forget things. It's kind of the old saying, out of sight, out of mind. Thank God we, as we celebrate Easter, we're, we're reminded. But I believe that God knows our nature. And as a result of that, he instituted a reminder that would bring us regularly back to that place of being reminded of what Jesus did for us. And this bread is one of those elements. You know, it says that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broken it, broken it, he gave it to his disciples and he said that we're supposed to eat it in remembrance of him. Not in remembrance of our sin. Not in remembrance of our shortcomings. But in remembrance of him. And so with communion, the focus is not on us. The focus is on Jesus. And the reason that that is so very, very important is because it's through his broken body that our bodies are made whole. It's because his life was broken in so many ways that our lives can be restored. And so he said, we're to take this bread that represents his broken body. And we're to be reminded that through his broken body, we've been made whole. The body of Christ, which is broken for you, receive it in remembrance of him. Then, of course, we always have the, the second element, the juice, that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And, of course, we repeatedly repeat how the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It was through the shedding of Jesus' blood that our sins were remitted. Our sins weren't just simply forgiven. Our sins were removed. Our sins were washed away. Our sins were to be remembered no more. You know, the Bible says in Revelation, says that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. I believe Satan, the accuser of the brethren, he sat before Father God bringing accusations against you and I. But when Jesus died on that cross and he shed his blood and he went and battled the enemy and cleaned out heaven and the evil one was cast down. He's no longer there to accuse you and I. But you know, I believe that that's one of the significant reasons why the Holy Spirit was given to us. Because when he was cast down, we were equipped 
to be able to deal with the accusations that come our way. And one of the things that we need to begin to recognize is those accusations that constantly come against you and I. It's not my conscience. It's not my spirit. It's the evil one bringing accusation to accuse you and I so that we think we're not worthy to receive what Jesus has provided for us. And so we've been given authority. And so when that accusation comes your way, you need to renounce it. You need to declare that through the shed blood of Jesus, I've been washed clean. My slate is clean. The enemy has nothing to bring against me because Jesus took care of everything. And so this juice that we drink that, that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus, it was poured out for you and I that we might be reminded that through the shed blood of Jesus, sin and the defilement of sin no longer has any place in any of our lives because we have the victory through Christ. The blood of Jesus, which has been shed for you, receive it in remembrance of him. Now, Father, we thank you for the victory that's ours. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors, that through Jesus, we can do all things as he strengthens us. And so, Father, I pray that as we look to your word, we see the promises that have been made available to each and every one of us, that we would recognize the increase of grace and peace, and that, Father, we might walk in it. And that we would not only walk in it, but we would demonstrate it to those around us, that they might see what a mighty God we serve. And in doing so, Father, we pray that you might receive all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And Father, I pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you go. Go in his peace, his strength, and his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.